Friday Forum. Um, today we're honored to have a special guest with us. Um, we have Sister Aya from the growing legal team at CARE New Jersey, where she focuses on civil rights advocacy and lit litigation. She engages elected officials and key stake, uh, stakeholders to advocate concerns for clients here in New Jersey for the Muslim community at large. Prior to joining CARE, Aya served on the deportation um, defense initiative team. She represented clients in removal proceedings, most of whom were held in immigration detention. She's also represented citizens in proceedings involved in Guantanamo, Gay, Guantanamo Bay at the City University of New York Law Clinic. She obtained her JD from City University of New York and her Bachelor's of Arts from Columbia University. Please uh, welcome Sister Aya. She talks about Know Your Rights uh, as part of the CARE New Jersey Initiative. Assalamu alaikum everyone. Um, yeah, we'll just stick to um, the presentation, but I'll get some started and um, clarify some notes before we start with the presentation. One, um, the presentation is not congruent with the theme, and the theme is how to advocate for Palestine safely, um, so know, knowing your rights in the context of Palestine. Um, things kind of uh, took a really rapid um, surge in the last two months, and so we haven't been able to revisit the presentation um, to make it reflective of Palestine advocacy. So we've been, if you want to check out our Instagram page, um, both Care New Jersey and Care National, we have Know Your Rights slides that you can um, peruse and revisit after this, but I'll, I'll use the kind of general presentation to keep track of um, the subject matter. So we'll be going over Knowing Your Rights with law enforcement um, in the employment context as a student um, and, uh, and um, uh, as a protester. Um, so we'll, you'll see that kind of projected onto the screen, but the content is gonna look a little different than what I'm saying. Is it working? Okay, oh, that's good. Thank you. So, um, Um, so just to, um, before also I get started on, on, on CARE's presentation, um, I did want to clarify that um, I hope folks are, have been calling their elected officials to demand a ceasefire. Um, the needle has been moving, at least with um, some elected officials, on, on uh, the pressure to get them to vote for um, a, a permanent ceasefire. Um, but the other thing I wanted to bring to your attention is um, while you're calling your elected officials um, and demanding that permanent ceasefire, I'd also like to bring to your attention 
um, the upcoming vote on expanding and reforming Section 702 um, of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. When you're calling your elected officials, When you're calling your elected officials, um, please also demand that they vote no on expanding this specific section of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act because it also will have a direct impact on our rights here as we continue to advocate for Palestinian rights. Um, it is uh, no coincidence that they're voting on this now. Um, it is done deliberately so that um, law enforcement is able to access data on people who have been vocal on Palestine and give them a way to bypass a warrant requirement when they're um, using your information. Um, so if you're calling your elected officials about the permanent ceasefire, call them to also vote no on reforming section 702 of the Foreign Surveillance Intelligence Act. Um, and they will be voting on that by the end of December. So the window's very small. Can everyone hear me all right? Okay. Is that good? Okay. Um, so for those who don't know CARE, we're the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Um, we're a civil rights organization um, that combats um, anti-Muslim uh, hatred and bigotry in the U.S. We have a CARE national chapter, and then most states have their individual um, state chapters, um, and we work together to combat Islamophobia here. Um, we do that through the media, so we have a media department. We do that through congressional um, advocacy through our government affairs department, and we do that legally in courts and in agencies um, and through engaging elected, elected officials as well through our legal department. So I'm the staff attorney at the legal department, and we have um, other members of our staff who represent those individual departments. And so some people might be wondering, like, why is CARE um, in the space of Palestine advocacy lately? Um, for two reasons. One, um, the, 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 the bombardment on Gaza and the growing bombardment on Gaza is um, simultaneously growing the number, the amount of suppression of our rights that are happening here. So the, the higher um, the pressure is on the international scale to, um, to demand a ceasefire on, on, on the bombardment of Gaza, the more suppressed our rights and our ability to advocate for Palestinians happen uh, domestically. Um, so CARE is there in order to um, ensure that uh, folks are able to advocate for Palestine and, um, and to defend their civil rights here as they do so. Um, and the second reason is that we should not make a, any mistake as a community that the fight against um, Islamophobia is necessarily a fight against Zionism. Um, and I say that to what we call like our community, community normalizers, um, people who engage in interfaith events or dialogue with Zionist faith leaders. Um, this is your chance to come to terms with the idea that if you're fighting for your rights as a Muslim here, you also have to be in the fight against Zionism. They're one in the same, it's the same actors, it's the same battle. Um, so if we look at kind of the, uh, the Islamophobia network and the, and the lobbying groups um, uh, that are uh, funneling money in order to spread anti-Muslim hatred, such as, for example, the American Center for Law and Justice, 
Um, they are the biggest Zionist actors on the global and domestic arena as well. Um, so if you're, tr you're tracking the money trail, the money trail that leads back to a Zionist is the same money trail that leads um, back to anti-Muslim um, politicians. Um, so uh, these are kind of like the biggest um, actors on the anti-Islamophobia network, the first of which is the American Center for Law and Justice. It sounds similar to the ACLU, which is here to protect their civil liberties. They did that on purpose. It is the right-wing version of what the ACLU does. So it ensures the uh, protection of rights for right-wing extremist conservatives. And if you look at the head of the ACLJ, his name is Pat Robinson, I'm not sure, um, if folks are familiar with him, um, but he is a he is an uh, evangelist Christian, um, and if you know anything about Zionism, you know that one of the um, biggest supporters of Zionism are evangelist Christians. Um, so they're one and the same. Um, if you'd like to challenge um, that connection between anti-Muslim hatred and anti-Zionism, please come talk to me. Um, but you cannot at this point engage with Zionists if you are also in the fight against um, our, our rights as, as Muslims in this country. The other kind of lesson I'd like everyone to take from this um, diagram is that the money being funneled to, to warp the narrative of Muslims in the media and, um, and to um, demonize us in the face of public opinion is also a testament to how much money they need to funnel in order to um, warp our image. And that just goes to show how much of a threat we are um, to liberal values and American um, uh, anti-Islamic uh, ideas of us. They need, to, they need this much money in order to um, uh, change our image, which goes to show you just how strong our presence is in this country and abroad. Um, not so much a bad thing if we're um, depleting their pockets like this. Um, so yeah, so uh, our media department does work to counter that narrative in the media. Um, I'm gonna skip over the fluffy parts of our work and get to the rights because we have so much to cover. Okay, so know your rights when it comes to contact with law enforcement. Um, most people might not know this because this happens um, in shame or it's not public information, but the number of cases that we've been getting where um, Muslims in our community have been contacted by law enforcement um, and interrogated has been on the rise. Um, we usually get a, I mean, after 9-11, I'm sure, I wasn't at CARE, but I'm sure the cases were very, very high. And there was kind of a lull in the last, I would say, three years where you would get maybe a dozen cases um, related to interrogations by the FBI a year. Um, we've had uh, a dozen cases in the last month or so. Um, and that, th that spans from FBI interrogations of students who are minors to students on college campuses, um, to adults in our community, and then finally to community leaders like faith leaders, mashayikh, imams. Um, so this is uh, kind of a pressing topic now more than ever, and, and I urge you to, to pay attention. Um, the golden rule that I would love for everyone to walk away with if they remember nothing about their rights in the context of law enforcement is if you are approached by law enforcement, you do not talk to law enforcement without an attorney present. 
Um, and that's kind of easier said than done. I'm sure most folks don't have easy access to an attorney. Um, I would say try to at least forge a connection with an attorney in the community at least for the time being so that you have someone to reach out to if you find yourself in a situation where the FBI is calling or knocking on your door or, or trying to interrogate your son or, or daughter's activity on the internet. Um, you know, the, the, these are the cases we're seeing now. And if you, if you, if you don't, definitely do call us. Um, well, we'll have um, our number at the end of this presentation. I am a, an, a, a staff attorney, uh, a legal department of one. Um, so I, I do kind of at this point encourage people to make connections with other attorneys in our community. We have plenty. Um, we, you just need to find them. Um, but again, if, if, if you're having trouble with that, please feel free to call us. Um, and, and that kind of brings me to the second lesson, wh which is do not ever feel pressured to uh, uh, respond or speak to the FBI immediately. So that gives you time to find an attorney. It gives, you, it gives me time to get to your intake if you do end up calling us. Um, you have no kind of obligation to respond immediately if you're being contacted. Um, and they know that. Um, so they more, the more they pester you, the more powerful your rights become in that situation because they know that if you insist on not speaking with them without your attorney present, um, they have no power. Um, so when I say law enforcement, does, um, does anyone know who I'm talking about? I know I said it several times, but it's a broad category. Yeah, the police, so your local police is considered law enforcement. Yeah, the FBI. Yeah, the CIA. We also have TSA um, and CBP who are under DHS, the Department of Homeland Security. So that includes, um, the Department of Homeland Security includes TSA, so Transportation and Security Administration. Those are th the guys that you'll see um, at the airport um, uh, doing uh, your, uh, the security. Uh, then you have custom, um, Customs and Border Patrol. Those are the ones you'll see kind of at the border between um, us and Canada, us and Mexico, as well as if you're taken to sec into secondary screening at the airport, um, the, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be interacting with um, a CBP officer. And, um, and uh, uh, these the rights that I'm reviewing right now apply to all of them um, with slight caveats. Um, so has anyone here heard of the Muslim surveillance project that took, um, that launched after 9-11? Okay, not, not too many. Okay, um, so I, I'm part of the post 9-11 generation. I think most people here are. Um, but it, it was a uh, time period that has since da uh, died down uh, uh, because of litigation and challenges to um, law enforcement practices where the local law enforcement would work with um, the FBI and the CIA to map out what they called ethnic hotspots um, and um, uh, Muslim masajids in order to surveil them and to gather information and to use that information against our community and to have and to, and to contract with informants to be a part of our community in order to collect information on the down low, right? So we have our guards down and, you know, the, and, and they're, they're collecting information. Now, even though that practice has largely stopped, we do see that pattern kind of picking up again now. 
And so it kind of looks like in the legal world, a, a, a resurgence of a post 9-11 era where the FBI is back in our communities, they're calling our community members um, and they're trying to gather information. Now, um, who here thinks that it's okay to talk to the FBI if there's um, kind of nothing to hide or if you've done nothing wrong? Okay, I'm, I'm glad no one's raised their hand. Um, yes, you should absolutely never talk to the FBI without your attorney, even if you think you've done nothing wrong. Um, because what might seem like an innocent answer to you might be used against you, might and will, because that's their job. Their job is to take information and make a case out of it. Um, so uh, if you give an answer that seems very benign to you, you might open yourself up to criminal consequences or to, which is our biggest fear as, as um as a civil rights organization, um, opening up the broader community to criminal consequences, and you won't know it. Um, so there are words that you'll s you might say that uh, will will raise legal concerns for the FBI agent that you might not know you're using, or even slight inconsistencies between answers that might look like a mistake to you know an average person or a, an acquaintance of yours, of a very innocent inconsistency in answers, but an inconsistency can be interpreted and will be interpreted as a lie by a federal agent and, uh, and, 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 and that has a lot of consequences. That has consequences if on your immigration status, for example, if you're um, uh, a non-citizen or a green card holder, when you come to, um, to apply for any petition to adjust your status in this country, that inconsistency will be brought up and used against you and your credibility. Um, it also has, um, uh, criminal consequences because who here thinks that it's a crime to law lie to law enforcement? Yes, it is an uh, it is a federal uh, federal crime to lie to uh, law enforcement. So you're opening up uh, you're opening yourself up to criminal consequences in that regard too. Now, who here thinks that it's a it's a it's a crime t for a law enforcement agent to lie to you as well? No, it's not. Yeah, so they, in their conversations with you, they have full access um, to any tool that they need to use, including lying to you in order to get information that they're gathering. Um, and, and it's called a fishing expedition for a reason because they're looking for, they're not, um, they're not asking you a question to hear your answer. They're, they're looking for a specific answer and they will use whatever you say to build up that case. Um, so, a kind of an example I like to give um, in order to uh, get a clearer picture of just how dangerous it might be to speak to law enforcement um, innocently is recently um, a law enforcement agent from the FBI um, approached a faith leader in our community um, asking him questions about a person in the community who was engaging in illegal conduct. She was a, a young woman and the faith leader, um, assuming the best and and also um, trying to look out for our community and by, by not aggravating the FBI and refusing to speak with them, um, said he doesn't know much about this community member. Um, you know, maybe he had one interaction with her in which uh, he was offering uh, marriage counseling and trying to help her find a spouse. 
And in that one conversation, the FBI's report on, or the FBI's documentation of the conversation this community, this faith leader had with the FBI, um, they refer to the, to the imam as her mentor. Um, and so that has incredible criminal consequences. Um, and you know, it, it, this was based on an e one email exchange with, um, with her uh, in which he was giving her marriage counseling. Um, so this is just one way in which something so innocently can be used and will be used against you. So again, please always have an attorney present when you're speaking to the FBI. Um, now, if the FBI does come to your door or if law enforcement comes to your door to your house, um, there are some guidelines that I'd like you guys to know. The first is if they come to your door, you are not obligated to open the door. So keep the door closed. You can talk to them through the door. Um, you can ask them um, to, uh, uh, first of all, assert your right to remain silent always. Um, I, don't, uh, I do not wish to speak to you at the moment without my attorney. Um, please slip your business card underneath the door or leave it by the door and I'll have my attorney contact you. That's basically the general guideline of what your interaction should look like. Once you do open that door for them, and, and I say this to mean not, not just so that you don't have to come face to face with an FBI agent and kind of feel that pressure and intimidation to speak with them, but opening that door is a, also a signal for, for them to be invited in and they will take, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. So if you do open the door, it's an invitation for them to come in. Um, that is absolutely something that you should never ever do, um, except if they have a search warrant. If they have a search warrant, then you're obligated to comply. Um, Yusuf, if you can, if you can um, pass around what a search warrant, a sample search warrant looks like. Um, the FBI should have, if, if, you, if they choose to present to you a search warrant that gives them a valid reason to um, search your property, it should look like what's being um, passed around right now, a judicial search warrant. Um, a valid search warrant, which you're, um, you have every right to review before letting the FBI in, should have three things. It should have your precise name, so your name has to be presented accurately. Um, the exact parameters uh, during which um, they can search and where they can search. So that includes time and place. Where they're searching within your house has to be very specific and the time in which the um, search warrant can be executed and used also has to be very specific. And finally, the uh, judge's signature. Now most people see a search warrant, they see that it looks like um, a, uh, a uh, legitimate search warrant um, but the FBI often, um, one, is lazy as heck, so they won't, get, they won't go out of their way to get the judge's signature because of number two, they assume that most people don't know the judge's signature has to be there anyway. Um, and so when they present uh, a person with a judicial warrant, um, the person oftentimes takes that as a, as a valid search warrant and lets them in. And so that consent kind of bypasses all the legal requirements of them needing to show you um, a valid search warrant consent is the key. So if you open that door and let them in and that judge's signature is not on the bottom, um, that's still legal for them to come in because you've consented to the search. So that's what's called a judici judicial search warrant. Now another search warrant um, that hopefully is also being passed around 
is the administrative search warrant. You could, did you pass it around? What? It is one file, but it's one, it's one, one first, the fir one page is a judicial warrant and the second one is an administrative warrant. Remember I said pass two, two to each person? Yeah. Uh, okay, so if you guys can figure that out. <laughs> the, the, uh, so there's, maybe you can just share it with the person next to you, but the administrative search warrant is different than a judicial search warrant in that, um, and that administrative agencies will use this to either arrest a, a person or, um, or, t or take them into custody, um, like uh, immigration detention, for example. Um, that is an, that's a search warrant that's used by ICE. So that's um, Immigration Customs Enforcement, which is the law enforcement arm of Homeland Security. The administrative search warrant for that to be valid, also the same rules apply when ICE is at your door. You don't need to open up or speak to them without an attorney or allow them in um, unless they have this warrant. That does not need a uh, judge's signature. Um, the officer himself or herself can sign that um, search warrant and that will be considered valid and you will have to comply if that's presented to you. So there's the judicial search warrant and the administrative search warrant. The first is the one that's used by the FBI or local law enforcement. The second is used by Homeland Security. The first is issued by a judge uh, by a federal court. And the second is, um, is issued by the agency, which is usually Homeland Security. And then other considerations I'd like you guys to keep in mind is that the outcome of interactions with law enforcement um, is often depends on small aspects of your demeanor especially when we're talking about protesting these days. So um, the harm reduction technique that we recommend you have with when you're interacting with law enforcement is um, being generally polite and making sure that you, no matter how provoked you are by them, which they do on purpose, you do not r escalate uh, the, the hostility. Um, so they're provoking you, 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 say polite, you stay polite. Um, they usually do that in order to get you to, 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 to rise in anger and then be charged with like something like obstructing justice or harming a police officer or something like that. Um, so just a helpful strategy is be polite when you're dealing with law enforcement and be ready to repeat yourself. They're gonna ask you the same question. Again, don't let that aggravate you. Um, keep your composure, answer those questions. Um, and then in those situations, you might feel powerless because it's very intimidating to be interacting with law enforcement like that and feeling like your life is on the line. Um, but they know and you should know that you have the most power in that situation. They know that you do not have to speak with them if your attorney is not present. And the second thing is be truthful. So even when you're asserting your rights, do not lie and be observant. The best clients that we get are the ones that are the most observant and the ones that report and record everything. Um, so that's always take the name of the officer you're dealing with, always take the agency that they're working for. So if they're local police, which precinct, if it's a federal, a federal officer, which field office, and their badge number. And then you come to us after you've gathered that information and then we can raise any complaint you had against the way that the officer was treating you. So don't take matters into your own hands and kind of respond with aggression in the way that they're treating you. 
um, know that you can capture that information, give it to us, and then we can raise the complaint with the agency. Um, but kind of uh, community members or clients that come with like a botched case, which is like a case in which they, they did unfortunately succumb to that aggression and respond hostily to the police officer and face charges, they're, mo they're more complicated to work with. Um, and, and so again, um, just the goal is to stay calm and to get out of the situation unharmed. Um, does anyone have any questions so far about law enforcement? Yes. So open open the door, but you can ask those questions from behind. I mean, do not open the door, but you can ask those questions from behind the door. Oh, you're saying whether or not this is like someone who's scamming you? All, all, all the more reason to ask who's at the door. <laughs> do you, I, I hope you're not in the practice of opening the door without asking who's on the other side. Uh, it's it's a valid concern. I, I would urge you to ask who's at the door before you open the door. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I see what you mean. You can also, if if you're feeling um, bold enough, once re you realize it is a federal agent or a law enforcement, you can close the door politely and say, "Hi, um, I don't feel comfortable interacting with you without my attorney present." If you do realize they are law enforcement. They are sometimes in civilian clothing, so that's something to keep in mind too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, they don't have to tell you the truth about what information they give you, but I've never seen a law enforcement agent say, with the exception of informants, who are you know discreet by, by the very task that they're tasked with, but if a law enforcement agent is asked which agency are you from, um, they do like to, to stretch out conversations, so they will likely tell you. Yeah. Um, okay, A if any other questions come up, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. So we are, New Jersey is what's considered a one-party consent state. So if you'd like to safely record the interaction, um, if you can rely on, on your judgment um, and ensure that by recording you're not going to expose yourself to, to physical harm, then it is legal to start recording. Um, and that, that also goes to like just recording in your pocket. You don't have to necessarily take out and record on video. Um, but yeah, it is it is legal, which is uh, which is not true for surrounding states. So the when you do leave New Jersey, not every surrounding state is a one-party consent state, and so you will need the permission of the other person in order to record. Thankfully, New Jersey is not one of those states. Yeah. Are you asking if um, that's consent for them to search that the property? I mean, you have you asserted that you are you are being silent because you do not feel comfortable speaking to them without law enforcement. I mean, your attorney there. So the 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 protocol is usually you're speaking to law enforcement. 
you assert your right out loud because silence is not, and I believe in New Jersey courts that silence has not been interpreted as you invoking your f your your amend your your um, your right to remain silent. Um, so you do have to say it out loud. You have to say, "I do not, I don't wish to speak with you without my attorney present." And if they try to search your house, I do not consent to the search without a valid search warrant. Everything needs to be said out loud because silence is not, is kind of open to interpretation here. And you do let them in. Yes, that's consent. That it's a exactly. So that's what I mean when I say most um, federal agents do not uh, kind of rely on your intelligence um, to, to know or distinguish between a valid and invalid search warrant. Um, if they present to you a search warrant that is absent of that judge's signature and you let them in even, um, even without the judge's signature, that's consent. And they kind of uh, uh, bypass the need for that um, signature once you do open that door and, and, and give them permission. Yeah, sure. Do you have both in front of you? Okay. So the administrative warrant is the one that's used by federal agencies, most mostly Homeland Security. That one doesn't need a judge's um, signature. That one needs just the the officer executing the warrant signature. No, I, I mean, it's usually people who, are, who don't hold citizenship. If you hold citizenship in this country, you'll likely not be visited by ICE. Um, but it, um, I don't necessarily, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it would, that an ICE officer would show up even if it's um, not kind of like a, a heightened circumstance. They can show up whenever they want. Um, even if it's just to ask you questions, they'll show up. And so um, ICE is the, uh, the kind of law enforcement branch of Homeland Security. So they are there um, to enforce Homeland Security's policies. They show up to your house if you don't have citizenship and they, they want to snoop, they want to gather information, or they want to arrest you or take you to immigration detention. Um, they will show up to your house um, if you are not a citizen here. FBI can show up regardless of your citizenship status. But your your rights to, your constitutional right to remain silent without, uh, unless your attorney's present applies even if you don't have um, citizenship here. It's regardless of immigration status. If the police officer shows up. No, um, I don't think I understand your question. So you're, you're a citizen of this country and a, and a law enforcement agent comes to your door. If, if you're a citizen of this country, ICE is unlikely to come to visit your house. Not illegal, I just, I've never seen an ICE agent. No, 
no, you can't say I, I don't allow you to search even if you have that paper. So if they have that paper and it's signed by them, they can um, certainly question you or search your, your property. Uh, but what I'm saying is rather if you are a citizen of this country, it is very, 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 very unlikely that an ICE agent will come to your house. But it's not illegal. That's it's those are two different things. Yeah. It's just I don't it, they there's no kind of interest in them coming to your house if you have citizenship. Yes. That's a really good question. <laughs> what if they force the door open? Um, that would that would be something that you can bring up to challenge their search of your home in front of a judge. And the judge will accept that as a defense to whatever evidence they gathered if they forced the door open. Unless they have something called a no-knock warrant, which I've never seen any of our community members um, uh, be presented with. It's usually for like drug busts or something like that. Okay. All right, so any other questions about law enforcement? Um, the one thing I will add um, is a reminder that um, your rights, you can assert these rights that I reviewed with you regardless of immigration status. It's uh, people who don't hold citizenship in this country that feel the most intimidated when law enforcement comes to their house or calls them and they feel an immediate um, need or, or pressure to comply because the worst thing that they can do to their pathway to citizenship here is upset a police officer. Th that's absolutely not the case. You can still assert your right to remain silent. Um, you can still ask to validate the search warrant that they're presenting, um, even if you don't hold citizenship here. Oh, sorry, no, that says not a real warrant because it's a sample warrant. So I had to redact some information. Yeah, it's still, a, it's still a warrant. It's just not a judicial warrant. It's an administrative warrant. Okay. Okay, now your rights in the, um, as a traveler, um, that's also a, f uh, a scenario that we've seen come up most recently in the last two months more travelers are being stopped by CBP as they're entering the country um, and taken into secondary screening. Um, that's for various reasons. It could be their outspokenness on Palestine. It could be um, uh, Masajid they visited while they were overseas. Um, it could be a, a, a whole host of things, but we have seen an uptick in, in cases like that. Um, so as you're entering the country, if you find that when you're printing your boarding pass um, before you travel, you're presented with a boarding pass that has the quadruple S on it, and you're taken to secondary screening, then there's a high likelihood that you're on the FBI's watch list, which is uh, um, what, what's being challenged right now in the Supreme Court as an unconstitutional list that, the, um, that law enforcement has right now in order to intimidate and harass um, almost always Muslim travelers or Muslim or, or people perceived as Muslim. Um, so what happens is when you're trying to enter the country um, during security, they'll take you to the back and ask you some questions. Now, what are your rights in that specific context when you're, uh, when you haven't yet entered, but you're in security? That's up, that's still up for debate, whether or not you have the right to an attorney 
um, when you're taken in to be interrogated by uh, Customs and Border Patrol. However, we have found in our experience that when you assert your constitutional rights, um, that you will you, that you have the right to remain silent unless your attorney's there, um, and you present to them your attorney's contact information. Um, most CBP officers are not the sharpest tool in the box, and they don't know the law, so they will just comply and not um, interrogate you if you if you do say you you're not answering any questions unless your attorney is present. Um, some officers are a little bit sharper, and they'll give you a harder time getting in contact with your attorney. Um, once your attorney does call in, it does signal to them that you know you might pose legal challenges later on um, for for the types of questions that they ask you, and so they'll stop the interrogation prematurely and let you through. Um, other times, they will hold you up um, and then eventually let you through. Um, the one thing I do want you to know is that if you're a citizen of the United States, you are you are guaranteed entry. So no matter how long they hold you up for in secondary screening, you have a constitutional um, right to enter the country. So they will let you in. The types of questions that you should not be answering and you should refuse to answer are questions that are outside the scope of your travel. So questions like, give me one moment. So, um, so questions related to where did you go when you traveled, um, who did you visit when you traveled, how long did you stay outs um, outside the U.S. when you traveled, um, did you visit any other country um, uh, apart from the country that you're returning from. Those are questions that you're required to answer, so questions related to your trip. Questions you are not obligated to answer and you can refuse to answer are questions like, um, and we've seen this plenty of times. It kind of sounds absurd, but it, it does happen. Um, questions like, uh, which mosque do you go to? Are you involved with your Muslim Students Association? What's your position on Palestine? Um, uh, d do you go online and watch Islamic lectures? What lectures do you watch? Um, do you follow Wahhabism? Um, who are your favorite lecturers? What is your political opinion on the Muslim Brotherhood? Those are all questions that we've taken from cases that came to our, our office. Those are questions you are absolutely not obligated to answer, and not only not obligated, I'm asking you not to answer those questions. Um, similar to the advice I gave you about speaking to uh, the FBI without your attorney present, giving any answers to these questions will also expose you to criminal consequences. Um, they are also, CBP is also part of the larger law enforcement network, and so they are also tasked with collecting information to be used against you in a case. And they share this information that they gather from you with federal, uh, with other federal agencies like the FBI. And of course, if you're not a citizen in this country and you give answers that they will manipulate against you, it, it will, um, make it much more difficult for you to petition for citizenship once that once you um, start that process. Does anyone have any questions? Yeah. 
you, you can say, one, I will not answer any questions unrelated to my travel uh, without my attorney present. And then you can say, and I will not, and if they ask you a question that's not related to your travel, reassert, this is a question that's not related to my travel. I will not be answering that without my attorney present. So uh, folks who do have, who frequently see that 4S on their boarding pass and frequently are pulled into secondary screening, I would suggest that you contact us so that I can provide you with a representation form and a, a what we call a carry-on letter to, to present to um, CBP. Um, that's, that's you asserting that you're represented already, and then they will kind of shorten the questioning or uh, limit their questions to travel-related questions. Um, but it must be kind of, um, it, these are these are people in our community that know that there's a likelihood that they're going to be stopped. So you're 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 jumping ahead of the issue by contacting us maybe like a week or two before your travel plans. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. That um, you have to answer them. You have to answer questions related to your travel. Anything outside of that scope, you refu you can refuse to answer, and you should refuse to answer. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, before before you speak, if 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 it's a specific case, and it uh, okay, uh, I just don't want you to. Okay. Yeah, that's an a that's an excellent question. So, what are your rights when um, an officer is asking for your electronic devices? You do not have to give your electronic device. Um, if they if you ref if if you refuse to give your electronic device, they might confiscate your phone um, and ask you to come back to pick it up later on. Um, but you do not have to give it to them. Um, something that I tell people who have a high likelihood. Um, clients who have a high likelihood of, of being taken into secondary screening is to fortify your phone. What does that mean? Um, delete your social media before you, um, before you board the plane back into the US. Um, disable your face ID because they can either use ID that they have on file to unlock your phone or they can wave the phone in your face but they can't force your fingers to um, touch your, uh, to plug in your passcode. So disable Face ID, and then finally um, uh, uh, renew your passcode. So whatever passcode you did have, update it with something um, uh, new and, and longer. Uh, 
that that'll make it harder for them to get into your phone if they do decide to confiscate your phone. Um, the Constitution protects you from incriminating yourself, so you do not have to give your passcode if they ask you for the passcode. Is violence? Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree that it's. A, uh, uh, no, you're good. Mm -hmm. I would say I would change the dynamic and in, in the way that you're you're presenting it to emphasize that you have more power in that uh, context than they do because it is your right not to give the passcode. It is your right to not answer their questions if they're related to your politics. So they know that most people who are traveling who are taken to secondary screening are immediately intimidated by these tactics and they give that this information. The officer asks for the passcode, they comply. The officer asks them questions related to their position on Palestine, they'll answer. You actually don't have to answer and it'll aggravate them and it'll provoke them into uh, escalating the tension in the room in order to get you to give them that information. But I would recommend as an attorney, stay there longer rather than expose yourself to criminal consequences because you're, they will eventually have to let you go. So you will be held longer, but they will eventually, um, they are eventually required to let you enter. They do do this. They do do this. So, uh, and I don't know if you entered the room after I, I clarified, but um, your right to an attorney in the very slim window between exiting a plane and entering the country post security is a constitutionally debated um, uh, uh, is a constitutionally debated legal concern um, that is up with the Supreme Court right now. Whether you are you have the right to an attorney, whether your constitutional rights kick in in that very very slim window. So it's up for debate right now. Yeah. You can contact us. I, I can give you that letter. Those are still questions that are related to the scope of your travel, and so I would I would advise you to answer those questions. No, so if they ask you what your relative does for a living, that is unrelated to your travel. Who you visited when you were traveling, where you went when you traveled, how long you stayed there, if you visited another country on your way back into the US, those are all within the scope of travel.
that's a really good question. I don't want to answer you immediately because I've not seen that. Um, if, they're if, if you're pulled into secondary screening and the officer asks you whether or not you participated in anti-American demonstrations while you were abroad, I would ask clarifying questions. I would ask what he means by anti-American and if he were to say something that is wildly racist or wildly inappropriate, then I would say no. Um, the question itself is odd. And I would say even in, in scenarios where I'm telling you these are questions you're obligated to answer, um, that doesn't mean that you don't ask law enforcement questions if you do have questions because um, that'll make you doubly powerful in that position where you're not obligated to answer all questions so you have the information they're seeking and you're, in, you're gathering information from them so that you have clarity on what you are obligated to answer and what you can refuse to answer. So do ask those clarifying questions before you jump to an answer. That, that I would love to speak to you afterwards. Very concerning. Did you come back? <laughs> Welcome back, brother. <laughs> yeah. Anti-American? I'm telling you your constitutional rights, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have you have to disclose you have to declare uh, uh, the answer to that question. It's a requirement. I think it's on the customs paper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to give you a comforting answer, but I have we have seen cases where it's solely based on names, and it could be a mistake. The officers putting these people's names on a watch list are literally the dumbest agents out there, and they will com they will instead of check checking off the box that says no, they will accidentally put yes, and that has come out in 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 litigation during discovery, where like the officer will st take the stand and say that was an accident. I meant to check off the no box. So it'll be something, but there's no oversight on that process because it's a secret watch list, which is why it's being litigated. There's so many, there's so much room for mistakes and it's up to the discretion and up to the, um, the, the capabilities of an individual officer, which are very wildly from one another. Um, so I, um, we, have a, we have a family member who's, um, whose daughter was, I think she was three years old and she was put on the watch list. And so they had to they had to litigate it in order to get her name off. It wasn't a simple process. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. That's a good question. So the question is, um, when you're answering the questions that you're obligated to answer, can you can you leave the answer at yes and no? I would advise you to keep it as short as possible. The 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 least amount of information possible in order for them to get moving on to the next question or to let you go. So yes and no are, are completely um, uh, cromulent answers. Um, so uh, so we will see and and kind of the time is showing how how many more cases of people being stopped um, at CB uh, at secondary um, even if you're not part of the watch list are becoming. Yeah, it's it's much it's it's definitely reminiscent of post 9/11. You should you should ask for an interpreter. Yes, absolutely. The more challenges you give them, the more likely they'll just let you go because they don't have these resources um, present. Um, and if they have trouble finding those resources and they are unable to get that information from you, they are more likely to let you pass. Um, and again, in in the same in the same spirit of keeping calm and not. Um, allowing an agent to provoke you into um, growing hostile or aggressive with them. Um, in that same spirit, do please do remain calm in those situations as well and also gather the officer's name, badge number, which agency he's from, he or she is from, and then we can um, together raise a complaint through Homeland Security about the way that you are treated. But do, don't take matters into your own hands. Mm-hmm. No, if it, if, so, so the, this kind of gets into a legal answer that I would give you, which is that there's a legal standard for arrest. Um, it's a probable cause standard. It's a very low standard. If they suspect that you're doing anything criminal, they have the right to arrest you. I will go over what your rights are in the, in, in that context in a moment as a protester. Um, now, the bulk, bulk, bulk of the cases that we've been seeing in the last two months um, uh, suppressing advocacy for Palestine has been in the context of employment rights. Um, now, as an employee, um, you can either be working for uh, a public institution. Now, that's not a publicly traded institution. That's a public institution as in like the government or a school, a public school, um, not a public company. Um, in, the, in, in the context of working for a public institution, um, you have uh, uh, constitutional rights. Um, uh, for your First Amendment rights apply. So you have con a constitutional right to free speech, um, in, as well as the federal uh, protected civil rights, like the federal six, uh, uh, sorry, title, title six in the, in the federal code, you have um, a right to um, uh, uh, a workplace that's free of discrimination. Um, now, if you are employed in a, in a private context, so you work for a private company, an accounting firm, um, a private school, um, and the list goes on, your rights are much more limited. You do not have con the constitutional right to free speech in, that, in, in your employment. Um, you do still have the right to a hostility-free work environment. You still have the right to a discrimination-free work environment. You still have the employment 
right not to be retaliated against based on your identity. Um, and so those are all still kind of um, protections that I would urge you guys to use in your favor, and I'll tell you how in a moment. Um, uh, but the other thing that I wanted to remind you is that um, with regards to New Jersey law in specific as an employee, we are what's called an at-will employment state. What that means is that it m our contract, our employment contracts in New Jersey are interpreted as um, an at-will employment contract whereby any, con uh, any, con any party to the contract can end that contract at will for no basis at all. That doesn't mean that your employer can end your contract based on anything discriminatory, but it does mean that your employer can end your contract based on something like political speech, which is not a protected discrimination ground under uh, our federal laws. Um, so I'll, I, I urge you guys, if you work for a private employer, to be very careful about um, your advocacy. That's not to say don't post, but that is to say that even if you're posting on your private accounts, please do so in a way um, where you're uh, treating your posts as though they are publicly accessible because that's what the, that's what the reality is. Even if it's on your private account, um, we're, seeing, um, we're seeing people being doxxed if, I'm, if, if you need clarity on that word, I, c I can define it in a moment. But people's private posts being used against them in the workplace uh, where uh, colleagues of yours will screenshot and send to your employer, etc. So uh, in terms of posting for Palestine, keep two things in mind. Know your own workplace. So know who, 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 is, your, who is your manager and boss um, know how human resources has generally treated political speech in the workplace. Um, keep note of how um, your employer has treated other political speech by your non-Muslim, non-Arab, non-Palestinian um, peers. And, um, and make sure that you email them, not call and not text, but email your manager, email your human resources, let them know in writing you are Arab or Muslim and you um, want to ensure that if you post for Palestine that you will not be retaliated against. And if you get that reassurance, I would say post for Palestine. Um, what I would document in that email as well is that it is your sincerely, your sincerely held religious belief to advocate for Palestine so that in the event that you are retaliated against and it's on political speech, we can assert a defense for you that it is based on your religion and that covers you under the laws against discrimination here, uh, rather than just on political speech, which is not an afforded right in your place of employment. Yeah. Yeah, so the federal laws against discrimination and the New Jersey laws against discrimination, which are actually um, stronger than the federal laws, um, they prohibit employers from discriminating against you on the basis of religion, national origin, ethnicity, tribe, um, uh, sexuality, and disability. And I believe one more. 
It does not protect you against political speech. That's not one of the classified grounds that uh, affords you protection under the laws against discrimination. And so that's connected directly to what I'm asking you to clarify with your employer before you post for Palestine, is to clarify that you will be posting for Palestine on the basis of your religion and to remind your employer that you are Muslim and Arab and that um, it, you would like them to note that in, in the event of retaliation so that they, you, they know, they're aware that you know the language needed to, to defend yourself in the event of termination or retaliation. And they also have it, uh, and you also have it on the record um, to show in a, in a complaint, in an eventual complaint against the employer that you put your employer on notice of these things. And if you, if you find that the answer that you get is not satisfactory, like we can't promise that there's no retaliation, um, then I would say rely on your, your personal judgment, whether um, in your uh, balance of risk involved in losing your job might be worth it and you might be able to find a job easily after thereafter. Um, whether or not it'd be worth it to post, uh, to advocate for Palestine, that's definitely a personal call to make. Yeah. We've seen people being held in the airport up to six hours. Yeah, I've never seen more, but that's not to say they can't hold you more than that. But I can assure you that you are entitled to entry. You can, you can definitely repeat, am I free to go now? Yeah, but I've seen, I, we've seen people being held up for hours. Uh, including people with disabilities, which is, you know, which is to show you just how aggressive they are. But um, again, remain calm, and then we can file the complaint together after you've entered. Five hours. In terms of can, can colleges suspend you for your activism, can they suspend Students for Justice in Palestine altogether? Uh, they, they do do that. Now whether or not that's legal is definitely something that we're challenging actively. Um, there, as a student and as a student group, you're still under the, you're still at least in the public university context um, protected by the federal laws against discrimination. So. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you see that your college is um, uh, retaliating against your student group, that includes p 
punishing you for things like violating um, uh, very small policies, like how, how to book an event. So over punishment, disparate treatment. So if you see that another student group um, booked an event in a specific area that you are then prohibited from booking, all that is protected under the laws against discrimination. So I would say put them on notice. Well, first contact one of us, contact Pal Palestine Legal, Pal um, CARE, um, uh, the ADC. Uh, definitely contact an attorney. Um, but also put your college administration on notice that they're exposing themselves to a title, a title VI complaint from you or your student group. Um, and document everything. Document their response. Um, document um, things that you've observed other student groups uh, enjoying that they, they, um, they prohibit you from enjoying. Um, document uh, interactions between, or in meetings, interactions between you and administration, the answers that they give you. Ask them questions that will incriminate them. Um, and you know, that, that's, that, those are strategies that we can help you with. But they, they do do that, can they do that? No, and is it illegal? Yes. So we, we see, I don't know if most folks are aware, but um, most recently Rutgers University has had suspended SJP. NJIT as well, I didn't hear about that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so that, that's something to note. Um, they are definitely looking at the, a Title IX complaint. It is absolutely unconstitutional what Rutgers is doing. Um, now there's like kind of a, uh, a debate going on. First of all, just to let you guys know, Rutgers is the first public university in the United States to do that, um, to, suspend, uh, to suspend indefinitely Students for Justice in Palestine. Now there's a debate over whether or not that's actually um, on the paper the case. It could be that it's a response to the public, to the public pressure to suspend the SJP and that they're not actually suspended on the books. Um, so again, those are, important, th those are important facts to gather if you're in your university, you're experiencing something similar. Email your Title IX administrator, your DEI administrator, get all, all that information because every piece of information and every response they give you on the record is gonna help the case. So the question is the fear of re being retaliated against if you report your professor for discriminating against you. Right. 
Right. So on every college campus, there is a Title IX coordinator, um, a Title IX office uh, that protects students from being exposed for reporting a professor, for example, for discriminating against them. And they are tasked with investigating the conduct that you're alleging the, pro the professor partook in. So they will do the investigating. They will um, gather uh, witness testimony if it happened in a classroom, for example. And it's their job that they're required to do by the federal government to investigate that a matter like that without fear of retaliation um, for the reporting student. So I would definitely recommend that if you are experiencing something like that, that you go immediately to your DEI office or your Title IX coordinator and immediately email the administration. Um, and, and, and do put those fears in the, in the correspondence. I do fear retaliation. Uh, please provide me with reassurance that I will not be retaliated against. And so that'll, that if eventually there's an injury that happens to you like a, like a failure, failing grade or, or a suspension, that, that's all documented. Okay, I'm gonna move on to your rights as a protester. So again, at, at uh, Palestine protests, the same law enforcement guidelines apply here. Do not talk to law enforcement if they're, if they're speaking to you without an attorney. Um, if you're part of the coordination efforts in coordinating a protest, make sure that you have um, a, a, a legal observer present. So the NLG, the National Lawyers Guild, they have an open form for people who are organizing protests to request a legal observer be with them at the protest. Um, move as one group. Um, don't separate yourself from the group. Um, people who are, I would say, like poached by law enforcement um, while protesting are usually the ones that um, uh, kind of uh, separate from the from the larger group. Um, mask. This goes back to your employment protections. Mask up at these protests. If you're speaking, mask up. If you're at a press conference, mask up. Um, if you are a teacher, for example, we've seen someone ask me before the event started, like, have have you guys seen any cases where like. Uh, a person's employment was at risk just for being at a protest? Absolutely, yes. We've seen um, teachers in particular being um, uh, uh, pressured by the community to be fired um, for being caught in a protest or being uh, documented or, pic or photographed at a protest. So please mask up in that, um, in, at, the, at the protest. Um, Make sure, similar to while traveling, make sure that your face ID is disabled. Make sure that your fingerprint, if you have a phone with fingerprints, is disabled. And um, and uh, when you're leaving, which is also kind of the window in which we've seen law enforcement come in to arrest people, um, leave as a group. Leave as a group. Um, disperse quickly. Uh, and uh, Leave the protest quickly, but always with a group. Does anyone have any questions about protests? Don't associate yourself with an inflammatory sign if your face is not covered, right? So like, d d take, take your pre precautions. Be smart about the way that you're advocating for Palestine. I think the worst cases we've seen are people who want so badly to be um, vocal about Palestinian rights, but who don't take their own precautions to protect their own rights. So you, now you're equipped with the rights um, that you're entitled to in your workplace as a student. Um, uh, um, as a teacher, 
you know, these are all different places where you can assert your rights. Know them, use them, make sure you take steps to ensure that you're not exposing yourself to harm that ultimately harms the movement. So it would, it would be the wisest thing to do to make sure that you're not um, uh, effectively exposing yourself to being silenced. I know, I took a lot of your time. Does anyone have any questions about protesting? I think that's it. If anyone has any questions, I'm, I'll be up here for a moment, but that's all for today. Thank you.